Do you want to live at a five or a six? Or do you want to swing between the twos and nines? The nines are euphoric and they feel amazing and that was awesome. And then you swing back to twos, yeah. But at least you have the nines. You pay the price with the twos. But I'll take that over the five and sixes. But the problem is, is our culture is based on five and sixes. It's based on comfort. It's based on thermostats. It's based on not having to walk very far. It's based on getting in your car and having the same temperature as in your house. It's, you know, not wanting to run at eight degrees. And we're back to square one there. It's like you make a choice every day of the person you want to be. Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. My name is David Hatena. I am Chris's assistant coach, and I have been working with Chris for about a year now. Don't worry, Chris will be along in a moment. Chris and I have many discussions offline where we dig into everything you can imagine related to ultra-endurance coaching. However, all of these conversations end up with Chris explaining some key point about mindset that is limiting an athlete in reaching their potential. We met outdoors in Northern California recently to record one such conversation, and what follows are the pieces that we think you will find most interesting or most beneficial. And yes, this is literally what every conversation sounds like that Chris and I have. Enjoy. All right, well, here we are, and something a little bit different this week. We're going to try an interview format of another host on the Weekly Word podcast, and I had the brilliant idea <laughs> of having David join me as sort of a moderator on the podcast. And if it's something that we like and it works well, and you, the listener, likes, I think we can do this more frequently. The other aspect here is that we have found that in our weekly business calls, David and I, that we have every Tuesday to sort of review athletes and what we're doing and why we're doing it. We have had some really good discussions there and discussions that we both, as we're talking about it or after the call, have said, you know what, that should have been recorded for the podcast. So this is our attempt to do similar. And it's been fun to try to put to words 25 years of coaching and some of you might say, what are, you, what are you talking about? You haven't been coaching for 25 years. Actually, since 96, a little bit before 96, as a grad assistant coach in college for swimming, but then that then translating to triathlon coaching in 1999, I think I started. So truly triathlon and endurance since 99, but coaching for some reason is in my blood. <laughs> for many years prior to that. So that's been the fun on these business calls that actually hearing and verbalizing those outputs. So David, welcome. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. So some background. Uh, started working with Chris about a year ago. Mainly I've been focusing on trying to learn as much from him as possible in order to coach athletes. And it has been really interesting. And my background athletically was... Uh, was a semi-professional competitive ski racer, bagged a adaptive national championship at one point in Park City, Utah, and then transferred over to competitive rugby. Did that for about a decade. Was a flanker on the number four ranked Dallas rugby club at one point. And that was wild. Ten years of rugby in Texas is <laughs> crazy. I'm alive. That was good. Uh, made it out. And then... Um, at some point picked up powerlifting, was never going to be competitive. I'm not a 300-pound person at six foot four, which is what I would need to be in order to do something in that sport. But it was tremendous fun to learn strength to an incredible degree. And that's something that's actually very valuable now in endurance training, which Chris and I have very, very passionate discussions about strength all the time, and we can potentially get into that later. And then uh, more recently um, rediscovered a love for running it is the thing I think about every single day and can't wait to do yeah and a little bit of background from my perspective with uh, David I was coaching David for about four weeks maybe yes <laughs> that was great <laughs> and David was like yeah this doesn't work for me and uh, there was a little more going on at that startup and we had grown 30% in 
a month or two, not two months, and I was fueling a lot of that growth. And then they ran out of money, as startups do during the WeWork uh, Uber IPO fallout. <laughs> and they were like, oh, we need unit profitability. We can't do this Instagram-style hypergrowth anymore. And I was like, okay. Then I, yeah, I sent you an email. And yeah. apparently it was a good email. Yeah, I mean, but we also, I mean, because I was coaching you a little bit and you were curious to learn more and wanted to know more of the why, which interestingly enough, now um, you can hear, I'm just looking at the lawnmower going by, um, which is interestingly enough, what you understand a lot better now is that going into the why and the detailed explanation of everything in the first four weeks of training, as many of our athletes, my athletes know, is not the purpose. And you were struggling with that <laughs> because you're so data-oriented, detail-oriented and all that. And I was like, listen, you know, it's fine, but this development, this growth comes from you as you're in the process and you'll understand it better in two, three months and understand it more in six, eight months and really get it in a year. And that's just not your personality. <laughs> I am very challenging to coach. Yeah. <laughs> and have been forever depending on whether the coach is willing to explain things. And I've been very lucky because you've been explaining things in tremendous detail. I think to both our benefits, you've been mm -hmm. figuring out how to take something you've done automatically for decades and and worded it. And that's yeah. been huge because I've been on the receiving end of that. Yeah, yeah. And so with that, then David quickly reached out and said, you know, do you need help elsewhere? Um, I have extra time on my hands. You had the sort of perspective that the startup world wouldn't last that long. And he, you said you'd love to help. And I said, you know, I am sort of looking for an assistant coach, but I think I have one figured out. And David then dove into a variety of things that he's done and why he's done them and how he was successful with them. And I was like, you know what? I'll give it a chance. Because quite honestly, in full disclosure, which probably David doesn't know, is the assistant originally was going to do a lot of meaningless tasks. <laughs> Um, to free me up more to do more coaching. It wasn't really designed to be an assistant coach. It was designed to be an assistant, right? And um, But you quickly changed that perspective for me because that was your intention right from the very beginning. You know, I didn't know what was going to come of this. I just knew that this was the right direction to go. Yeah. And it took, what, six months maybe before you would let me touch a rest day programming on an athlete <laughs> <laughs> and it took a long time for you to confirm that you were comfortable having me work with athletes yeah but you had expressed that early on and so i knew that was pending out there and it was just a question of finding a few athletes that we can work with together so that we're already hitting the ground running and modifying versus shaping and as many of you know, with my coaching in the meantime, it's grown more and more to learning versus teaching. And there's a, there's a big difference in the two for me. Teaching means I give you a methodology on how to do it with instructions and you just execute instructions. And that to me is not coaching. So for me, it's learning. You fail. You grow from that failure you make your mistakes you then ask the questions and uh, see it through a different lens because you failed and then have me as a resource as a coach as a guide as somebody to bounce ideas off of bounce frustrations off of and so that's the, the difficult component to teach somebody in this case because we are in some in many ways teaching between each other versus coaching learning of the athletes and so yeah we have we found a few athletes that would benefit from the two people coaching instead of just me and that's worked out well because all those athletes have all been very very receptive and have given us positive feedback of getting both of us as coaches versus just me or just david and it's been nothing but a positive experience also for me being able to see you 
put in the programming, see you grow, see you understand this, and your profound effect of pulling information out of me. As we were saying with those business calls on Tuesdays, it has also opened my eyes in a lot of ways to my coaching methodology, but also philosophy. And I've never been able to verbalize it as clearly as I have been with you, listening, capturing it, asking follow-up questions, or even validating, confirming what I'm saying with just real effective questioning and taking that thought a bit further and why. And so it's been a cool experience for me. By the way, if you hear birds chirping in the background, that is because we are outside. It's COVID time, everything is shut down. And in order for us to record at my house, even on the back patio with four kids homeschooling and two dogs and all kinds of craziness, we set out to find a quiet spot. And so here we are in the middle of a big lacrosse soccer field and recording on a pretty sunny day in December. It's interesting to hear you say that you found it interesting that I'm able to provide the moments where you're able to expound on some point that you hadn't previously been able to articulate. And I've never known you not to do that around me. (laughs) Well, that's also the the sermon aspect, right, that I talk about on the podcast, Mm -hmm. is if I am talking with somebody, it flows out of me. But too often, I'm not talking to someone, so I'm in my head. But to hear it come out of me, the way you have pulled in the, the philosophy and the methodology out of me is giving me more confidence, too, that there is more to this training philosophy and our coaching, our coaching approach than I knew before. One thing that I find really interesting is to try to understand what's real. And I think a lot of coaches in a lot of different sports where they're extremely narrowly focused, so powerlifting and running have this in common, that they're actually quite simple activities to do. Anyone can learn how to program very quickly. I mean, you could teach a college kid how to program an athlete um, very well in probably, what, 12 months. Yeah. But conversely, everything is that I've learned from you is it's, it's 100% about mindset at the end of the day. That ties into, though, what we talk about. Any coach and soon AI mm-hmm. will oh, be able to write a training plan. It's yeah. a book. You can open a book. You can open a magazine. You can look at a website. It's not the training plan. It's who you are, you the athlete, and what you bring to that training plan. The training plan is black and white on paper. It's not gonna leap out of the paper and help you at the track or on the trail or on your bike. It's what you, you have to combine those two. And bringing that to life and bringing out the athlete version in you that can do what is on the paper, let's say the proverbial paper in this case, that is the key. And that's relationships, that's communication, that's nuanced, that's individual to that person because they have a family, they have a job, they have all that. So yeah, putting together the training is the easy part. It's now guiding the athlete to successfully do the training, feel good about it, feel confident about it, um, be, stay healthy, stay inspired, stay positive and motivated, and their moral compass also along the way sound because not taking away from family or career and so forth. It all has to be in line, and it's a very delicate game that we, that a coach needs to play in my opinion so we were talking a week ago about winter training and this is a well a a really touchy subject in running world in general because people have all sorts of different approaches to what you should be doing in the winter and then we get into okay now now you know what you're going to do what are you going to do when it's zero degrees outside and you really don't want to go outside. What do you do when there's snow on the ground? How do we modify the workout? What do we do to get a nice physiological adaptation out of it? And then I would add to get a nice brain modification to it as well. So 
you know, for example, one of the athletes out in Massachusetts messaged me yesterday and said, hey, uh, tomorrow morning it's going to be 8 degrees Fahrenheit. Is there something I can do indoors instead because I don't want to run for an hour? And <laughs> it was amazing that we had just talked about it 24 hours prior because I told him to check out the frozen otter on the Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin in the middle of winter. And he writes back, Oh, yeah, I'm good. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, like we said, right? Like, you know my response to that, but the listener doesn't. And that is there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad gear. And, you know, if we signed up for this training when it's going to be sunny and 75 every day, then you're exercising. You're not training. And that's the component here. The opportunity to be outdoors in 8 degrees and the mental resilience and the confidence you build by that action itself is going to reward you when it's back to sunny in 75 in the summer because you will remember the eight degree day out there and that you did it and that it's accumulated in your you know book of training this year as well as the invigorating and um, amazing feeling of coming back from that run Knowing you did it, knowing nobody else is out there, knowing you were, you know, that Lance Armstrong commercial where he's out riding in the rain and he pulls into his garage and he's like, yeah, I was out there doing it. What were you doing? You know, what were my competitors doing? I was out there doing it. And that's eight degrees in the cold. That's minus 10 degrees in the cold. It is what it is. We live where we live. We do what we do. We train where we are. And... You know, of course, somebody from Florida, suddenly in eight degrees, it's a different scenario. But if you're in, I know you might shake your head, but I'm just saying (laughs) we have, we have seasons we move into and move out to. And as we go through the seasons, our body is adapting to the environment around us and preparing that it is more capable to run at eight degrees than somebody who just got thrust in there from 80 degrees is my point. But again... Everything, everything we do in our training and many things around it is an opportunity for us to be athletes, to prove to our internal athlete self, I can, I am. It's effectively mindset training when you decide to go do something that's hard. And ideally, it also ends up being hard when you're doing an ultra and you're at mile 40 of a 50 and um, feet hurt tremendously and probably a lot of other things too, it's extremely necessary that you went through something hard. And many hard things, not just something, many hard things. You need the repetition that hard is just a sensation, is a feeling that flows past you. It's not you. Mm-hmm. And therefore, as it flows past you, you see, you recognize it. Yeah, this is hard, but it's fleeting. It's short. It's tomorrow. The sun will rise, and I will wonder. Wait, was that hard? Yeah. At that point, why? Why did I? Why did I act like that? Or why did I respond like that? So, yeah, everything is an opportunity for us to grow, especially. Yeah, divorcing how you feel from how you actually perform uh, when it's, you know, eight degrees or, I don't know, my my threshold back when I lived on the East Coast was negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit. But I remember ski racing competitively, that's where I got my start, and it being negative 40, and that was a weird temperature. But the performance was physically identical. It's important to ask yourself that question, am I actually unable to move my legs and run or to spin do I just want to be comfortable? Getting mm. familiar with being uncomfortable, right? Sure, running indoors on a treadmill feels nice. It's comfortable. It's controlled environment, but it's not who we are. We are designed to work in a variety of environments and adapt to the environment outside of us, not adapt the outside environment to us, right? We are supposed to adapt to it, and that's the key too. Understanding that everything in 75 degrees, good and great, that's boring, quite honestly. But having the swings in temperature and understanding that is the key. The other thing to keep in mind there is we are not your coaches if you signed up for somebody to say, you know what, it's okay. You can go on that treadmill. Enjoy yourself. What do athletes get wrong? 
Well, the important thing is to understand that everybody has their own weaknesses, right? Some it's consistency, some it's grit, some it's making excuses for themselves, some is judging themselves. But again, the important thing is to understand in order to be somebody you've never been before, to achieve an outcome you've never achieved before, you have to become someone else. And I would say the number one thing that we run across, especially Emily and I, with regards to athletes, is just quit making excuses for yourself and get the work done. Do what you set out to do. Don't justify, don't rationalize, just go out and do what you, you signed up to do. And that's the, the crazy thing, what we observe so often is like, here they are, they signed up for said event, or said adventure, or said goals, or said future outcomes, and yet, they're sabotaging themselves along the way all the time because of some excuse. Whereas if they had to get it done, if they needed to get it done, they would get it done. And the constant um, stories that we're familiar with of, well, I had to do this, and oh, at nine o'clock I usually do this, or eh, you know, half the day is filled with junk time. And junk time is basically the most effective time in the day for you to successfully navigate your priorities. And that is work, family, and if training is a big, scary goal, it's gotta be training. It's the three-legged stool again. And everything else is just noise and reasons for not to prioritize those three. Spending three hours on Netflix watching some show, not family, not professional not training right and what I mean and whether it's Netflix whether it's some other thing and of course we all have things during the day that come up that we need to get done but did the three things get done today that are most important most meaningful as Greg McEwen says in the essentialism book is it essential is what I'm doing did I get the three essential things done in my day and that is work, family life, and in our cases, the training, the daily steps towards the future outcome. The important thing is to remember here, the things that come up in training are things that come up for the athlete in their day-to-day life already. This isn't just some, oh, the athlete version of myself has these traits. No. These traits pop up in your work life and professional life. They pop up in your personal life and family life. And you can't suppress these values, these characteristics and so forth. And some are strong points, some are flaws. I mean, I have the same ones, not the same ones as everybody else, but I have flaws and strengths. And I see it all the time in my own training. And I sit there and go, this is the exact same thing that comes up in my work or this is the exact same thing that comes up in my personal life. And it's been like that for millennia in the human condition Mm -hmm. that you can't suppress in one area of your life of meaning um, and then it not show up in another area. War of Art. The War of Art. Oh my God, one of the best books I've ever read. It reads like poetry. It's so good. Well, and the fun thing is you can just break it up and read one chapter at a time Mm -hmm. and just work with that. Excuses are are almost predictable. Like you can can Mm -hmm. look at an athlete who's strung together a solid eight days of workouts and be like, "Uh uh-oh, this is is all going to fall apart. They're going to have something come up and... I don't know if it's the resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about, that voice in your head that tries to get you to return back to baseline instead of to reach to your potential and introduce a new self that is scary and unknown and therefore something to avoid. And what do you say to an athlete when they have a legitimate excuse? It's always a really good excuse. To them. Yeah, to them. <laughs> and that's exactly it, right? All of our athletes are by nature of 
the kinds of people who want to attain really challenging athletic goals and also can afford to hire coaches to do that instead of try to figure it out on their own. I mean, these are people who are very, very successful in their careers. They're, they're top of the food chain at what they do. Um, some of them are just insanely impressive. And then you see this other side of them where no, they're just people and they just have this resistance creep up and they will reliably make excuses and the excuses are so good. They're, um, this email came in, I have to do this for this client at the 11th hour, uh, I can't make my run. That's good and great. Then find another day of the week where you're gonna put that one back in, right? I mean, give and take. Again, if that's the first occasion and it came up at the 11th hour and the last 14 days have been really effective, good, consistent, progressive training, good. Mm -hmm. Then life comes up, we get that, and we went pro in something other than this sport. But if it's a constant theme or a weekly theme, um, then it's something, well, quite honestly, it's a theme. (laughs) And a theme means there's a habit right behind it. And oftentimes, this will just continue on, and it's our job to highlight for the athlete. That's, again, the learning versus teaching. And them recognizing, learning, that this is something that they're constantly doing. Oh, huh, I didn't realize that. And then our job is to highlight that and guide them with alternatives or ideas through it, but they still have to go out and execute and do it. It's their finish line. What I like to always say is like, when you cross that, when when you're approaching that finish line, but even when you cross that finish line of your A event, of your event that you really, really care about the outcome, really, do you go back and go, I did everything I could, I did the best possible current version of myself training leading up to this? Remember, there's some key components there. Current version. Current version might mean, you know, three young kids. Current version might mean a job that's 50 hours a week. Current version might be on this body having only trained for 18 months, right? The best current version of ourselves. Now, most, after 20 years of doing this, most look back and go, eh, I know, I probably skipped a few spots or I could have done better this and I wish I had those miles back or very rarely does the athlete say, I executed the best version of myself. And this isn't in a criticism, it's more in recognizing like you have so much more in you than you thought you did and do, right? And there's so much more potential in us And we like to say, oh, because of work and because of career, because of school or because of family or because of age of kids, you know, because of all these things. Yes, those are all circumstances, but squeezing the most out of your current potential, maximizing your current potential is, that's the key. And it's our job to bring that out of you, to highlight where there's more to be given, not more in exhaustion, but more in the athlete version of yourself and the athlete mindset. I could have, tossed me no more time, eaten better. I could have, you know, executed that workout differently versus just showing up and going through the motions. Cost you no more time, right? Like so many times I also run into training where I see the athlete was like, well, I did the workout, but I did the, the hour run or I did the, you know, two hour bike, but I was just shot that day. And so, you know, I didn't really feel like doing the work. Totally fine. You're a mature adult, your your outcome. But if you're out there doing it, why not attempt some training? Maybe a longer warm up, but maybe because your body is perfectly primed because you're not connected to the outcome of the workout, you might have the best workout and adaptation you could expect because again you're just sort of relaxed not with expectations or a certain type of um, desired outcome of the workout you just go out execute and go actually felt really good and how many times have we come across athletes where it's like wow i thought today would be crap and it turned out to be a great workout those are the little details that all of us and that's the athlete's mindset on a daily basis can show up 
and give our best athletic version of ourselves for that 80 minutes, 90 minutes, 100 minutes, 120 minutes, 45 minutes, 30 minutes, 20 minutes of court, whatever it is, but show up as the best athlete version. And your success, your growth, your outcomes are guaranteed. You forget the work that needs to be done on a daily basis. You forget the routine. You forget the grind. You forget the focus. You forget what I call most importantly, the intention. What intention am I bringing to today's workout? We've been talking a lot lately about the clarity, purpose, and intention, the CIP as I call it. And intention is what the athlete brings to the workout. And intention is followed by attention. So if you go into something with intention, your attention will follow and will be more present in the workout and the adaptation and listening to your body and recognizing what you're doing and being in the posture, in the technique, in the zone, not zone of flow, but in the zone, zone three, zone four, zone five that you're supposed to be in. Um, It all comes in a different way. Intention and attention. I can see what they're capable of. I can see the justification and the excuses they're making and what's just on the other side of it. I have so much experience in carrying athletes through this transition and that they themselves look back and go, God, I was a weenie. Mm -hmm. I was just making excuses. And look, I feel so much better now. But it's important because they need to go through that. I have to sit back. I can't force them. I can't tell them. They have to come to these conclusions and these insights themselves of how to prioritize their time, how to be an athlete every day, how to show up with intention, how to not make excuses for yourself. But I'm there. I'm there on the other side whenever they have a question or they need guidance or quick input or, hey, I need a couple of words. What is it I can do today to show up with intention? I mean, I get athletes, maybe not every day, but a couple times a week where it's like, you know what? I'm taking to heart what you said. How can I show up today at today's workout with the best intentions? And I'll look at the workout and go, all right, well, good. This is a good question. You're thinking about it. Again, attention brings attention. And your attention to the matter, now we are starting to work. Now we're getting somewhere. Because now, after this workout, you are going to feel so much better, not because of the physiology, but because of the psychology. We had a discussion about two, three weeks ago where I had a profound growth experience myself in understanding what it is with my coaching. and where it comes from. And I'm not going to go into that today because I'm still writing that out. Mm-hmm. But what we're talking about here and when I go off on these sermons, whether on the podcast or with you, is I truly believe whether in front of 10 people or a 1,000 people, there's ways to connect this, what we're talking about, intention and athlete's mindset and the endurance athlete within to all those people. And not that I'm some sort of preacher or have some sort of skill in it. It's just how it comes out in each one of us. And I'd love to be able to just ignite that flame a little bit, right? You and I talk a lot and I talk a fair amount on the podcast about the REI poster and that sensation of when you see the great outdoors or you see a big mountain range and the awe it inspires or the beach or all those emotions. There's an athlete on the other side of those emotions that wants to run through those fields, that wants to be hiking and climbing in those mountains and running trails or that wants to be cycling those empty roads and fall foliage or beautiful summer streams in a mountain um, range, right? All that, that is already there. That's in our hardwiring. It's already there. Like, And how do we bring that out in each one of the athletes, whether we coach them or even in people that I will never coach? But that is the endurance athlete within. And that's what I love to convey. And that's why when I was just saying how my sermons were getting off on a tangent and talking forever about something. It's because 
seeing that twinkle in people's eye when they understand that and that it's already within them and they just have to bring it forward they have to uncover it unleash it it's amazing the athletes over the past 20 plus years that have gone from their first 5k to their 50 miler to their 100 miler to doing ultraman it's all within them it wasn't necessarily the training it was them deciding to ignite that flame I do want to ask you about Lake Sonoma, uh, <laughs> 62 miles, and I weigh 210 pounds, and don't have a lot of fat to lose. Just <laughs> for you, I would just take the Goggins approach. Shut up and get it done. <laughs> that's that's what's going to happen exactly. between mile. Uh, honestly, 30 is well, generally when if, the pain sets if in. You know the Sonoma course. It's not possible to do that. I, I love rolling hills. Those are not rolling hills. Have you run that course? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh, those are not. There's nothing hills about that. It's rolling walls. It is not runnable. It is relentless. That is the hence the name of Lake Sonoma because. They just keep coming at you, these straight-up walls. They make Muir Beach seem rolling. Crap. Okay, that was <laughs> originally... I was... You need to get up on the course, buddy, especially the far end of the course. But yeah, no, Lake Sonoma is brutally hard. I'm not and sure it's so hard. steep and annoying. And you just come around a bend and you see more walls. And you're just like, are you kidding me? And that's when you go, oh, this is why it's called Relentless. And yeah. then your legs are mush as of 40 so that you can't really run the back end where there's actually some runnable sections where you're like, oh, I remember this on the way out. I was, can't wait to be here again and run it. And then you get there and you're like, why am I shuffling like a 92-year-old? That scares me. Not the pain. It's the inability to run on the back half mm -hmm. that is terrifying. Like that course, if I were to do it again, I would be more disciplined to hike um, and really be smart on the early hills because, again, that the race begins, let's say, the 50-miler for me, mm -hmm. that the race truly only shows up at mile 30 because even the last five miles into the turnaround and the last five miles out of the turnaround, they're just, you just gut punches. So you've got to continuously get past that to hope to have an outcome. And, again, we're not... You know, Jim Walmsley, who can just bound up these hills. Yeah. Um, when you're pushing a little bit more weight, um, uh, it's, it's going to be harder. But back to the psychology. I fully believe that everybody has this in their primal brain. It's how we're wired. It's how we evolved, right? Mm -hmm. We've talked about this on our, on our Tuesday talk. Our primal self was never the strongest. It was never the fastest. We worked in packs. We're social beings, and we coordinate with our minds in order to bring down the uh, woolly mammoth or whatever, fight off the saber-toothed tiger. And everybody's already heard that. But it's more that our ability to adapt outside in nature quickly and move across terrain it's in us and so we have just been conditioned some people more than others to stay comfortable it's your classic do you want to live at a five or a six or do you want to swing between the twos and nines right the nines are euphoric and they feel amazing and that was awesome and then you swing back to twos yeah but at least you have the nines you pay the price with the twos but I'll take that over the five and sixes. But the problem is, is our culture is based on five and sixes. It's based on comfort. It's based on thermostats. It's based on not having to walk very far. It's based on getting in your car and having the same temperature as in your house. It's, you know, not wanting to run at eight degrees. Right? Yeah. And we're back to square one there. It's like you make a choice every day of the person you want to be. And that person can be a five or six and Netflix and chill, which I love that movie, by the way. My kids. There's a why movie him? called Netflix and chill. No, but and why him? Okay. <laughs> James Franco is uh, is this actor who you know, made billions selling an Internet company. And he's just looking to hang out with his girl. And they call it Netflix and chill in front of his parents. Brian Cranston is the dad. Yep. Um, and by now, the parents know what that means. 
They don't until they literally oh. video chat, and he walks in the door in the background of the video chat, basically with nothing on, yep. going, "Are you ready to Netflix and chill?" <laughs> so, there anyway, it is. <laughs> not my not my favorite movie, but it makes me laugh so hard. I actually I'm awful with movies me because too. my kids watch them and they're like Chris can you just shut up because I'm just laughing the whole time you can't watch Elf with me because I just break <laughs> down I just have tears in my eyes I recite the whole movie the whole time you know this reminds me of an athlete that we have there's the fellow in New Jersey who's an absolute samurai with his his feedback He'll say, hey, I didn't really have a good run today. And then you read the rest of the comment and it's like, I got an hour of sleep and I was dealing with some family problems. And so this hour and a half run I did this morning wasn't the best. There's nothing really to say to that except you nailed it. I'm so proud of you. Keep doing what you're doing. Please don't change. Yeah, those words would never come out of my mouth. (laughs) Fair. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm much no nicer high to the athletes. And hugs and... But that being said, <laughs> that, that, but in that example, it's like, okay, accept that. Accept mm-hmm. where you are. Accept who you currently are, whether it's a wedge week or a wedge day. And again, set up your athlete self that you're bringing today might not express itself physically in the workout, mm. but can it in nutrition? Can it in some core work? Can it in your sleep tonight? So that in two, three days from now, when life frees up, that you show up as a athlete, ready to train, absorb the training again. And that's a lot of times, especially whether at this time of year or busy athletes in general, it's like the day can still be pulled into your athletic world in so many ways and then secondly what am I doing today to set up my best athlete self in a couple of days that's intention again intention is also showing up today intentionally to be the best family person or I'm showing up today with intention to get this project done at work it means my family and my workouts fall off the wagon today that's fine but it will free up intention and time and focus for my family this weekend or it won't linger in my brain that i still haven't finished this project like if you show up show up if you train train if you're going to be a family person in this hour or on this walk or bringing my child to soccer practice show up and be there be present, right? The the cliche, but it's so true. Be intentional with what you're doing because then you can bring more intention to the other tasks, to the other legs of the stool. And so, yes, that guy might have gotten little sleep, he had issues or had work issues or you have family issues, whatever it is. We all have them. But then, okay, what am I doing now to prepare for when the athlete self emerges again? Because it will emerge. So when I looked at that particular athlete and saw that you know he had gotten no sleep, if this had been any other athlete, I would have been deeply concerned. But with him, the thing behind the thing is not a graph of his sleep or a graph of the productive nature of his workouts. Obviously, if you sleep more, you're going to get more out of it. It was a perfectly flat line across weeks and weeks of how intentional am I being in my life? Am I putting first things first? Am I being the hero in my own movie? And not in a exciting way, but in a very quiet, stoic way. Am yeah, you, I, is that a good thing? What are you What are you saying? I think it's I think it's the perfect thing. If you're looking for adrenaline rushes from ultra endurance training, gotcha, gotcha. Consistency, consistency, and yeah, it's it's pretty damn boring, as you say. Um, chop wood, carry water. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's extraordinary. And well, the, what is it that Seth Godin says? He goes, "Don't give me authentic." give me consistency Mm. because if you're consistent in your behavior and in your actions that's way more the definition of authentic than these random moments of who you think you are consistency of mindset yeah behavior right yeah behavior are rituals that we hold to be true and actions that we believe are the right course Mm -hmm. and therefore being consistent with that because they're backed up by values yeah that's more authentic yeah. than this 
being authentic piece because your actions and your mind is consistent in its in its approach to things it has more uh, ability and um, energy and depth hence willpower to then deal with things whether later in the day or later in the week or so forth do the things consistently so that the brain doesn't have to get engaged and it's what i talk about in ultra endurance racing it's like i want to get as far into the event whether it's a 100 miler whether it's a 10k without having to engage the brain if it just clicks and is happening without too much willpower forcing it convincing yourself self-talk the better and then then when you need it it's there for you and you can tap into that second engine that now is based off of mental power tapping into physical power i had an athlete the other day ask me the books i read in 2020 mm -hmm. and i was blown away that it, how many it was. can you send me that list yeah great no but my favorite one of this year will be hard to say. I mean, Cal Newport was fun to read, deep work, but it wasn't necessarily something super profound, like, oh my gosh, this is... Um, but I'll have to think about which one that was. I'm surprised you said Cal Newport. You're probably just because I'm here and I'm the biggest Cal no, Newport No, no, fan. no, no. Um, I liked the applicability of small adjustments to quickly recognize, because for me, writing is the part that I get... I push aside so often and I'm all, always trying to figure out the best window and quiet time and this, but just being building in time for deep work, which for me is writing, would be writing, I don't do it, um, and mm -hmm. working the schedule and my life around that is, uh, it was important to me to hear that the way he worded it. He has so many good tactics on his podcast. Yeah. I, absolutely adore his um, time blocking system reading list of 2020 sapiens i read it again due to the world being in a pandemic and needing <laughs> the perspective how of how ridiculous our perception and okay. form of reality beliefs are um, making sense sam harris i enjoyed that because the discussion around consciousness and the way he breaks it down has been fascinating um spqr which is really good mary beard about Roman life and times and their way of living and how their form of government is set up. SBQR was really um, different for me. Um, Deep work, Cal Newport, Trillion Dollar Coach, Eric Schmidt and Jonathan Rosenberg, Zen and the Art of Archery, annual book I carry with me on long trips. I always have that book around, read it. It's that and uh, Chop Wood, Carry Water. It's just, they're just go-tos. You can always just read it again and glean new information from it wow um what else where are we willpower baumeister and turney the nature fix florence williams um just about how nature and how it interacts with our body and how we are part of it and what we're doing in order to be closer to nature all the time and our society how it's built around nature uh, this could be our future, Yancey Strickler, The Infinite Game, Simon Sinek, Hiking with Nietzsche, John Cagg, Call of the Wild, Jack London with my son, Count of Monte Cristo with my son. It's fun reading those books again because reading, let's say, Call of the Wild or and White Fang, mm. Jack London's ability to capture the inner primal um, endurance athlete that we are and him just putting it actually into the form of a wolf or into other forms of nature and how they work in nature and that they're just um, they're, they're going to express themselves they don't have any power over how they are in the wild that's just what's in them and capturing that and how he describes that is very similar to how, how I try to capture the endurance athlete within all of us and so having my son read it and hearing the words, and he's obviously hearing a different story than me, but the profound aspect of what Jack London was describing there was pretty um, remarkable the second time through. And then uh, Count of Monte Cristo, refreshing my Napoleon French Revolution times. <laughs> How could we forget? <laughs> exactly. And uh, remembering what happened like at that time and Elba and all that stuff has been pretty fun to explain and teach my, my son. Right? and going over it on the map and understanding the French Revolution and Bonapartism and royalism and how 
you know, the tactics and the strategies of the of um, Napoleon as he marched across Europe. Clearly, you can tell we go off on tangents that have nothing to do with the book, but uh, that's how I like to read. And it's been a year of teaching at home, and so therefore, that's our that's the learning. We do math and reading. We don't do anything else because. And honestly, nothing else is necessary in the future. Your ability to do math and think mathematically mm-hmm. and your ability to read and communicate and take words from paper, screen, or verbal and create the information in your head, whether it's accurate information in the form of a story, a narrative, um, a belief. But that's that's what we need. That's what we are as humans. And so honing those skills and taking it to a next level of visually seeing Napoleon move across Europe and where Paris is and Marseille and Elba and Sardinia and why he moved this way across there and why he was exiled on Elba and why he came back to France and tried to topple the throne and what was going on in those times and the whole aspect of the French Revolution. Of course, my son liked the beheadings and so forth. but um, Naturally. Yeah, uh, but that's that's live learning. That's really cool that you guys can share that. Yeah, that's COVID. Do you, <laughs> have you listened to any hardcore history with Dan Carlin? No. Um, what is Will Durant? Um, Lessons of History? Um, I have not heard that one. Uh, not le- heard. Um, it's a book. Oh. Lessons of History, Will Durant um, is fantastic. It's fantastic. It's, wow. I read it many years ago and I have it in my audible list again um, to listen to. Um, versus having read it many years ago because just taking my dogs for a walk and listening to a chapter here and there is just powerful and how everything repeats itself and that's also what you were saying before with regards to the athlete right the athletes in their individualism in their self repeat also just like history of the collective of a greater group of people actions repeat themselves over and over and over again whether in a week whether in a month whether in a decade or within a century it's whether it's one being the human or the collective of many humans it's still going to repeat itself in a very similar fashion and because you brought that up earlier. Yeah, similar but never the same. Exactly. Make sure that you are getting a external perspective from wherever you can. Be the watcher. Yeah. Be the observer. Observe yourself from above. A drone flying over you. How am I? Who am I today? How am I today? How am I interacting with the world around me today? Be the watcher. <laughs>